dynamic diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic magazine We're all different but we can learn from each other Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered. Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, life is ever evolving and ever changing. Mm-hmm. And to, to, to really kind of appreciate. Uh, where you are in the moment and uh, to allow love to lead the way. We talk with diversity and inclusion strategist, movement intellectual, and social justice advocate Albert E. Smith Jr. Mississippi native Albert E. Smith Jr. grew up in a small town outside of Natchez. At the age of 13, he began attending Piney Woods Boarding School, one of three remaining black boarding schools in the nation. Albert Ernest Smith Jr.'s passion for justice and equality sits in the nexus of academia, community development, public policy, and grassroots activism. Committed to advocacy for those who are behind glass walls, Albert moves continuously between polar worlds bridging, linking, and mediating between groups of persons of various cultural backgrounds. I see that you have degrees from Fisk University and Vanderbilt University, but... Can you tell our audience about your life before that? Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Wow. So um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Mississippi native, um, born and raised in a, uh, a small town uh, right outside of Natchez, Mississippi, called Fayette, Mississippi. And um, my, 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 my mother was a, um, was a, was a school teacher. And my my father my father um, served in the military, and uh, I'm a fourth generation college graduate with a, a large majority of my family attending university in in the state of Mississippi. Um, I attended boarding school um, early on in, in in high school, and I I graduated from one of the nation's uh, three remaining black boarding schools in the country, uh, boarding school called Piney Woods, which was really a wonderful opportunity for me because it allowed me to um, to see the world through the eyes of students from about 30 different states and five or six different foreign countries in wow. a small town 21 miles south of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I had the had the distinct pleasure of um, attending attending boarding school with you know uh, congressional members, children, and uh, with uh, students who were extremely who who came from abject poverty, uh, where foundations provided support um, to. Uh, Ensure that they had the the necessary tools to 
to be successful in life, and that came through providing uh, educational scholarships for them to pursue secondary edu education uh, with the hopes of going on to post-secondary education uh, after. And so, you know, a, a lot of a lot of, of my identity is really kind of formed around my experiences uh, in my small town of Mississippi, but mostly my experiences growing up at boarding school. Um, my boarding school played a very formative role in my development uh, into uh, uh, becoming the person that I am today. Uh, a very, very formative role in helping to shape uh, who I am, a very formative role in providing me with uh, the necessary understandings and insights, uh, a very formative role in providing me with the, with the ambition to, to see the possibilities beyond Mississippi and to see how I could go on to, to really contribute to larger society. Nice. What what ages did you go to boarding school? Um, I was I was at, at boarding school at the age of thirteen. Yeah. Okay. To yeah. what? Eighteen. Uh huh. Until eighteen. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Because I don't know much about boarding schools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was it was it was really unique because it was a, a, a black boarding school, a historically black boarding school, right? Wow. Um, and and you had and you had kids from all over the world there and and the exposure that we had we had exposure to you know um high ranking governmental officials to celebrities Oprah Winfrey Kathy Hughes who is the uh the CEO of Radio 1 it is her grandfather's boarding school and so and started, having huh? that he started that school in 1909 with a dollar and 65 cent a bible and oh a desire God. to a desire <laughs> to educate poor children in in Mississippi. He was a black man who had come down from Iowa with a PhD from Iowa uh, to educate folk in rural Mississippi. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. A, re a really inspiring story. Yeah, it is. Um, what inspired you to seek degrees in English and ethics slash theological studies? <laughs> wow. So um, I was I was originally um, on track to uh, attend law school, and you know I had desire. I had big big dreams of being a a Supreme Court justice at one point in my life, uh, and I thought that. You know, uh, of course, pursuing a uh, a degree in literature will that's a very minimum provide me with the analytical skills to to pursue application for law school and to go on to become a jurist. Um, but then, you know, I finished my degree at Fisk in English. And during that time, I was um, really wrestling with um, the uh, – I was really wrestling with, with, with spirituality, faith, and sexuality. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that gaining a little bit more clarity there, um, pursuing opportunities that would allow me to uh, better understand uh, my own identities, uh, being a person of faith and someone who at the time was really wrestling with his sexual orientation. Uh, I thought pursuing a graduate degree in religion would provide me with uh, the theoretical framework to make some educated um, decisions. Oh, you and were so, trying to analyze it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and in the process of analyzing it, really um, having a better understanding and handle of my faith in the process. Uh, and uh, I applied to graduate school at Vanderbilt and uh, was admitted into their program. Uh, initially, I thought that I was going to do a master's in divinity degree uh, with this concept in my mind that I would probably be in the church. And uh, I later became very, um, very disinterested in the work of the church proper, um, given given how tenuous the relationship is between sexual and gender minority people and mm-hmm. faith, uh, mm-hmm. and so I I committed my I committed my, uh, my my academic studies to this area of sexual ethics uh, as a way of um, hoping to. Um, bridge conversations, not just within the uh, the faith communities, but in uh, all communities and networks that I would uh, find myself being a part of. Uh, and so I, I thought that it would be behoove me to, to pursue this uh, because it provided me with the gratification. It provided me with the confidence. It allowed me to um, affirm my identities in the way that no other uh, academic discipline that I had any interest in would have ever. Uh, it really was not only a life-giving um, opportunity for me, but it was also life-saving uh, because, you know, at, at the time, you know, when you're when you're when you're dealing with 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 sexuality, uh, with questions around your sexuality, you're also uh, really struggling with um, the meaning of life and where you belong in the kind of grandeur scheme of things, right? And so, of course, what emerges from that are suicidal ideations, self-doubt, and all of that jazz. And so uh, Vanderbilt really did provide me with that thing, you know, and, and, and I, I, I hold Vanderbilt and the Divinity School very closely. Um, I regard it very closely because it was what I needed in that moment. Uh, life just has a really interesting way of unfolding. And I, I really do believe that <laughs> my steps have been ordained to do what I'm doing. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that. As I, as I even reflect on it now, I'm, I'm just extremely, extremely grateful to have had the opportunity uh, because so many other black boys from Mississippi who may have been struggling with their sexual sexuality uh, 
may not have been afforded this opportunity, and I was afforded the opportunity. So. Mm-hmm. And you came to a conclusion. Um, I came to a conclusion. I did. You know um, that 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 you know uh, life is ever evolving and ever changing. Mm-hmm. And to 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 really kind of appreciate uh, where you are in the moment and uh, to allow love to lead the way um, and not to allow other other individuals you know uh, expectations to, um, to 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 create a barrier and to determine you and to determine who you are and to determine yeah. who you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I cannot, I can't stress that enough. Well, yeah, I used uh, I used to know a woman who wrote a, a great book uh, entitled "What You Think of Me Is None of My Business," mm. and yeah. I always thought that statement was so prof- profound. Yeah. So, um, next question. I see that your studies and areas of expertise range from ethics to black cultural studies to queer theory. I imagine that the progression of your studies was a gradual one, but can you share how one led to the other? Well, I, I think that, you know, uh, going back to my my uh, my earlier comments about my graduate studies in, in, in ethics, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a part of Divinity School provided me with the, the space to think about identities in the, the the myriad ways that they intersect and overlap with one another. And so mm-hmm. when I look at sexuality under under this umbrella of, 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 of or, or through this lens, this academic discipline of queer studies, right, uh, I cannot discount the fact that I'm an African-American man and that my life as an African-American man and how I, and how I move, Throughout the universe, energetically, uh, uh, is, is 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 deeply connected with uh, my sexual orientation, or my sexual orientation is deeply connected with how I move as an African American man uh, throughout the world. And so, um, yeah, I I I I I decided that I really wanted to take an intersectional approach uh, to my studies, and I thought that looking at uh, identity through the lens of uh, race and gender and sexual orientation, along with some other um, uh, 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 vectors, identity vectors would would really serve me well. In so far as it will give me, provide me with the language to be very fluid in my thinking uh, and in my way of being with other people who uh, were different than I was, uh, provided me with common language to engage in in a meaningful way, in a way that honored people, uh, all while honoring myself in the process. So that's how I ended up with with with, with pursuing education uh and, 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 and doing that work in queer studies and, and ethics. Uh because fundamental to just my own kind of um, um, personal ethics is the belief that love is essential and mm-hmm. that love will lead the way. Uh, and so when I start there as uh, a basis for um, my engagement with people who are different, uh, then it, 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 it provides me with, it is my North Star. 
provides me with, you know, the direction that I need. Uh, it, 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 it puts me back uh, uh, on, on path when I deviate a bit, <laughs> you know. Uh, just remember to love people, to love people uh, unapologetically, to love people fiercely and unapologetically. And so, yeah. I hope I'm not talking around in circles. <laughs> no, you're not. It's it's all valuable. But basically one didn't lead to the other. You basically studied how ethics intersects with black cultural studies and queer theory. Yeah, definitely. How yeah. ethics how ethics intersects with um with with, with 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 all aspects of my identity. You know, one would argue well looking looking if you were to do an analysis of of me you know one would 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 argue that my education my graduate education was really an opportunity for me to do my own inner work right that mm-hmm. on the one but hand it was did. very selfish of me right right on the one mm-hmm. hand it was very selfish of me right like this was all about me mm-hmm. and it was it well, that's okay. You have to do me. that at some point in life. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It was all about me in graduate school, right? And I was just trying to make sense of the world and its people. And mm-hmm. my 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 point of departure uh, were the experiences that were most proximal to me, right? My sexual orientation, you know, my, my race, my gender identity, uh, my class identity. You know my 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 political uh, uh, identity. All of that was up for examination. Nothing went unexamined during that time. And as a result, in working in doing my own inner work, I'm now able to be uh, fully present with people. I'm I'm, I'm 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 I have the ability to honor people where they are. And to not do what people had done to me as a child, which was to to impose upon me their expectations, right? But to but to allow people to 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 have agency, to have voice, to tell their own stories, to listen, uh, and to honor them in the process, and to honor their process. Excellent. Well, I'm going to take a, a sharp right turn here. Uh, can sure. you tell us about your work with the National Public Housing Museum and Center for the Study of Housing and Society? <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny, right? I, I, love I can't it. help but think of Dr. Ben Carson when I read that question to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, like once again, you know, it goes back to just my training and my interest. And my interest has always been with the least of them, uh, those who are uh, who live on the margin of society. Because I know what it is like to feel alienated, to feel dejected, mm-hmm. to feel alone, and having that opportunity to work in that setting where their commitments were to the telling the stories of those who were the products of public housing in a positive light, um, but in, an, in, a, in a very truthful light too, right? Not just to, to, to glamorize things, right? Um, uh, to romanticize things, to be 
um, 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 uh, this, this, dishonest about it, but to, to, to really kind of root the experiences of everyday ordinary people and their successes and their struggles in to frame it in a way that um, that did not uh, demonize them, but that simply humanized them, right? You know, because when we talk, when we think about when we think about public housing, we think we think negatively all the time. You know, like people in public housing don't have aspirations, they don't have dreams, you know, ambition. And what this museum did was this museum provided us with an, a window into uh, those dreams and those ambitions of folks in public housing. And it, then it talked about all of the social barriers that stood in the way of those people living out their experiences, right? Oh, wow. uh, the systemic kind of, the systemic kind of, uh, barriers, whether it was racism and discrimination or, or you know, uh, sexism and homophobia and transphobia, all of the things that would impede people from thriving and flourishing, the center really created an opportunity, created a uh, a platform to kind of examine those things. And so, yeah. It was a really, it was a really wonderful experience. But once again, it connects with this whole kind of social justice theme that you see running through my life experience, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm also intensely interested in your work with the United States Department of Labor and the United States Department of Defense. What were your roles there as a civil servant? So I won't talk about that. <laughs> Um, I won't. I won't. I won't speak. I won't speak to those issues. Um, but I, I did live in the Middle East for for three years, um, um, and my desire to my desire to pursue an opportunity in the Middle East was really rooted in uh, this um, this desire to understand. Uh, Their culture. Middle Eastern. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because because society had done such a uh, a job on them, right? Mm-hmm. In demonizing demonizing an entire you know uh, community of folk uh, mm-hmm. that I needed I needed I needed the opportunity to come to my own conclusion about these people um, and. Um, it was a really a defining moment. I remember getting on the, I, re, I remember getting, um, we were, my friends were uh, preparing a, a send off for me, and uh, we were, we were upstairs in my in my in my in my home, and they had created a circle and they were going to pray for me and whatnot, and they were really, they were really concerned. They were concerned about my safety and and really concerned about my decision to put myself in quote unquote harm's way, right? Uh to do something uh differently. And so, you know, I looked I looked to them and I, I remember very, very vividly uh telling many of them, you know, that that I would be okay. Uh and I had there was just a level of peace 
that was there, right? And so, um, you know, uh, I, uh, maybe three or four days later, uh, boarded a plane and, and headed out. And um, I remember arriving in the airport in Dubai um, and seeing the expressions of uh, the culture around me and having a moment of anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. um, because all of the messages that had been, you know, uh, communicated, uh, that had, had, had managed to, 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 to really kind of, all of the messages that had, 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 had really resonated with me and that had, had managed to, to take hostage of my own interpretations seemed to, seemed to flood me in that moment, right? And so I remember there were two questions that I personally uh, that, were, that were prompted out of that experience and that, I, that required my immediate attention in that moment. And those two questions were, were you going to give in to the myth or were you going to remain and learn and enlarge your understanding? Uh, and, 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 and those were the two choices that I had. And, 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 and I'm happy to say that I did not give in to my fear uh, and that I and stayed. You chose the Yes, and I stayed, yeah. and it was was certainly it was certainly a defining moment for me, because in all of my, um, you know, bourgeois, uh, uh, you know, tendencies, right? And you know, I am, you know, I've I've studied this stuff, right? I consider myself to be to be somewhat uh, very liberal in my thinking, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To have those, to have those, you know, those moments called into question, right? <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. So you, so, so you do have some unconscious bias here, right? Like, yeah, I, I got uh-huh. a lot of unconscious bias that I had to work through, right? And, and I really had in that moment, you know, to work through some unconscious bias that would allow me to, to move, um, to move forward and to. You know, to 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 commit three and a half years to being over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to move past your preconceived notions in order to grow. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I had the same experience when I had a Muslim roommate. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that led me into a whole new realm. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 then you and then you learn how. You know what is what is what is what is formative. What is what is what is what is what is what is really the basis of their their faith is hospitality. My God, yeah. let me yeah, tell and you, kindness you and t- peace and kindness. Do you hear me? You tell you tell someone you make a commitment to someone who is Muslim. I mean, from the Middle East, right? You make a commitment from someone who is of the Muslim faith that isn't within the United States necessarily, right? Because uh, our sensibilities are, are structured by 
you know, a Western way of thinking in some respects. But you tell someone who was living in the Middle East at the time in Iraq when I was there, um, they extend an invitation to you to join them for tea and you turn them down. Uh-uh. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Because, no, because for, them, for them to, to even extend that invitation to you mean, means that they – They've gone through. You've gone through a rigorous vetting process for, for, for them, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and they trust you. And they trust you exactly. And they trust you. You know. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, can you uh, along those same lines? Can you tell us about your lecture at the Al Assad Air Force Base in Iraq? What that experience was like? Um, I would rather not, but I would I would say that it was with. Um, I'll, I'll be very surface to say that it was with um, a um, a community of uh, military uh, uh, personnel who, um, and we talked about faith and sexuality. Okay. That was my next question. Was it about race, yeah. gender, sexuality? You know. Yep. It was okay. about all of that. It was about gotcha. all of that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, you you say that you're committed to advocacy for those behind glass walls. What do you mean by that? So that's, I've that's heard a, glass that's a ceiling, but what? Yep. What's the glass walls? That is that is a phrase uh, from W. E. B. Du Bois, quite frankly. Uh, he talks about the glass wall, very much oh. like the glass field. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being able to see, uh, to to see people and to see people's desire. It goes back to that kind of public housing comment that I made earlier. To to be to be able to witness and to realize that people have ambition and 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 and, and, and desire to do better. Yet there are there are structural things that are impeding their ability. Progress. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so those things are the glass walls that Du Bois spoke of. I see. Okay. That makes sense. I've I've never seen it that way before. I actually lived in New York for three years and uh, was a manager, and some of my employees lived in the projects. And Mm -hmm. I went to visit them. So, you know, I got kind of a view into what it's like to live in the projects. And, yes, they do have dreams. Yes, they do want more. You, yeah. know, you can't just pitch and a they, and, and they have and they have a sense of a, a, a really um genuine sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um they have their own they, they have their own ethics and their own way of being with one another that really is no different than any other communities, right? It really isn't any different than any other communities. They protect their people the same way that, you know, suburban folk protect one another. I would even say more fiercely. Yeah. Because they they yep. know that for them there's more risk out there in the world. Yeah. Yep. Um, you also said that you've worked with university faculty and student remote learning communities in non-traditional academic spaces. What types mm-hmm. of spaces were you referring to? Um, so I, um, during my time as an administrator at Vanderbilt in Nashville, um, I uh, was an assistant director in the Office of Housing and Residential Education, 
and uh, that space provided me with the opportunity to to work with students in very non-traditional living environments uh, where uh, they were living in learning communities. Uh, and so students had projects that they that they uh, applied for housing uh, in, in in groups, and they had community-based projects that they would engage in throughout the year. Um, along with, you know, uh, residential facilities that catered to students who were uh, traditionally uh, um, not within the mainstream of the Vanderbilt community, right? Uh, you know, there was one particular uh, philosophy residential hall there at Vanderbilt called McGill. And McGill was really the safe space for um, everyone who uh, others considered to be deviant. <laughs> and however you want to un 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 unpack that language of deviance, you know, yeah. uh, because the because the McGillites really did begin to kind of embrace that language. Uh, <laughs> they really did begin to embrace that language because they recognized that they were countercultural. In the, in the space. And so they would be the kids who were goth. They would be the LGBT kids. They would be the folks who were agnostic and, you know, everything that you would imagine that uh, counters Southern uh, gentilia, right? Uh, gentile, uh, everything that you would consider outside of the mainstream, uh, mm -hmm. those students, those students really kind of embodied in their in their expressions and so having that opportunity to work with them along with working with students in other uh, living and learning communities were allowed me to to think about you know um, allowed me to think about housing allowed me to think about you know the need to create uh, uh, spaces where people uh, feel uh, a sense of uh, self-worth and uh, feel empowered and fully present in the space. Um, yeah, so that was that was that was the, the experience with 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 during my time at Vanderbilt. So you you weren't teaching in a classroom; you were teaching in the community itself. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a a, 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 a mix of teaching uh, and 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 administrivia. Okay. Yep. Well, would you say that that has changed the face of learning? Oh, definitely. And Vanderbilt is certainly on the cutting edge in that sense. I mean, uh, re reimagining living and learning spaces. Uh, Vanderbilt has done a really wonderful job at uh, creating blended uh, uh, spaces where, you know, you have a McGill now, but there are pieces, there are elements of McGill everywhere now. McGill, how and do you spell that? It's M-C-G-I-L-L. -L. It makes for a much, much more rich uh Academic experience, you know, when you can when you can say that you live among um, people who are different than you, and that 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 that, that your 
that your college collegiate experience isn't a homogenous experience or heterogeneous experience rather this yeah this reminds me of a, a local school who has a new um curriculum of earth studies where they take people out into the woods oh yeah you know yeah. very non-traditional well, I also yeah. see that you're interested in securing equal protections and human rights through policy and reform. Which policies have yeah. you been instrumental in changing? So I, I worked for the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda um, mm-hmm. for three and a half years um, as their inaugural uh, sexual and gender minority portfolio strategist there. Um, my responsibility was to um, to, 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 you know, uh, ensure um, that LGBT employees at the National Institutes of Health were um, afforded equal rights and protection, um, employment Good protection. Yeah, sure was. And 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 also to ensure that you know the the agency. Um, respond to uh, the health needs of LGBT Americans uh, in its research. And so uh, my work was really twofold in that sense. On the one hand, it was administrative work uh, through the Office of um, uh, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, which is essentially the uh, the EEO office. And on the other hand, working in lockstep with scientists and other administrators to shore up uh, NIH's um, uh, portfolio, uh, biomedical research portfolio in the areas of um, LGBT health. Excellent. Well, can you tell our audience about your work in advocacy and community service? How has your work contributed to an environment of social justice? Hmm. Can you just explain part of that right there? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel that I feel that much of the work that I've done has been in community, in the community, right? Um, my work in the government has been, you know, more, more broad, you know, in 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 in, in its reach, uh, insofar as you know the work that I did with NIH, which was really important work, right? This was the first time and and, 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 and and the outgrowth of, you know, the work that I did with other individuals at the agency resulted in the NIH establishing a uh, a sexual and gender minority research office. Wow. Okay. So when you talk about instituting an office at the National Institutes of Health that That's is huge. that is huge. It is huge <laughs> because it means it means that you know the 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 voices of LGBT people would now be formally heard throughout the biomedical research space because the NIH really does kind of set the agenda in biomedical research, right? Uh, and it funds it creates up funding opportunity for people to for people to examine health related um uh, uh issues that are um 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 uh, 
impacting LGBT people. Uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it's akin to, you know, formalizing an office is one additional step of institutionalizing um, institutionalizing the research, institutionalizing uh, the discourse. So yeah, it was that was that was that was by far one of my greatest Major accomplishments. Yeah, accomplishments, right? Absolutely. To, to help usher them through that process to provide to provide scientists with the uh, the education and the uh, the tools to think differently about this topic, to ask questions in their existing research of how might uh, LGBT people uh, 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 lives be impacted by this work by simply by simply targeting them as a uh, as a as a population sample. Yeah, by simply acknowledging them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, you've partially answered my part of my next question, which is um, a two-part question. How do you see your role in education developing in the future, and in what ways do you see that your work contributes to society as a whole? I would say that you're establishing that department at the NIH is definitely contributing to society as a whole. Yeah, contributing to society as a whole, and now the work that I do with um, as a consultant at, 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 at Cook Ross, which is a diversity and inclusion organizational development firm um, in, 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 in Silver Springs, now I work with corporate executives. Excellent. Right. <laughs> now I'm working with corporate executives uh, to help them uh, align their diversity and inclusion uh, 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 efforts with their business case. And, and I just, you know, I, what I what I love about having this conversation is it really gives me an opportunity to look retrospectively at at, at my body of work, right? And I and I often tell people that, you know, um, my achievements are an aggregate of my success. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and and to kind of think broadly about. Once again, how all of the things that I've done have been deeply interconnected with one another. Mm -hmm. And I can say that I'm living a life of purpose. Mm -hmm. I can say that, you know, the work that I do right now, the work that I did at, 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 at NIH, the work that I did at Vanderbilt, the work that I did at when I, when I worked in the Middle East, these were not just jobs to me. You know, what I'm doing, I'm living out my vocation. Mm -hmm. I'm living out my life's calling right now. Calling, that's that's the word that I was just thinking of, as a matter of fact. I'm yeah. living out my life's calling right now. Mm -hmm. and, to, and to have, and to have such a, a clear, understanding of what I have been called to do um, allows me to not be distracted by other things, right? Like, I know what is within my wheelhouse. 
I'm going to stick with what's within my wheelhouse. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not out chasing careers. I'm, I'm, I'm out chasing. I'm out living. I'm out attempting to live out my, my life purpose. Mm-hmm. I have turned down. beautiful job uh, of it. Yeah, I have turned down jobs that paid me much more than what I'm making right now. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because it's not about mm-hmm. making the money. Mm-hmm. It's not about making the money. Because those things will come later. You know, I'm I'm not concerned about that. I live a very comfortable life, thank God. Which allows me, which provides me with the luxury to do some of the things that I do. Yeah. I've traveled the world. I've gone, I've, I've traveled 20, 23 countries. I've wow. lived in, I've lived in three different countries. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and all of fabulous. that, all of that has been, all of that has been really driven, you know, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, by, you know, this larger kind of purpose. Me coming into this purpose, me embracing this purpose. Mm-hmm. When I, when I think about it, I could not imagine my life had I not gone to, to Piney Woods. Yeah. Had I not ended up at Fisk. Had I not pursued divinity school. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I would be. No. I don't know what state of mind I would be in. Yeah. I well, love you, life. You're obviously where you're meant to be. Yeah. And, the, the, yeah. and producing the results that your heart desires. Yeah. 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 This has been this has been wonderful for me. Can I tell you? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference. You can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired.